Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Raw Podcast with me, your host, Christine Grace. My guest today is Damara Waugh, who's an old friend from my travels around New Zealand over nine years ago. She's a person who advocates for positive change and has a profound ability to see someone's potential and help them see and actualize it for themselves. I asked Tamara to discuss her creation and work with the happiness experiment, also known as Three Good Things, a practice in cultivating gratitude that she was just getting off the ground when we met back in 2012. Beyond that, we discuss understanding our sexuality, different levels of friendship, boundaries, understanding emotional intelligence, learning for curiosity's sake, and so much more. Come along the ride as you listen to two old friends dive deep into our lived experiences and the subsequent understandings we acquire thereafter. As always, details to connect with Tamara or sign up for her happiness experiment are in the show notes. Now, without further ado, meet Tamara Waugh. Hello, Tamara. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? It's so good. So good. I, I can't believe how long it's been since, um, since we've really talked. So for those listening, I met Tamara when I was traveling New Zealand, we discovered like nine years ago, I can't believe it's been nine years. And we met at the rhythm and vines festival, the amazing rhythm we and did. vines festival. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is a festival that goes, um, it's in a vineyard. Is it still in a vineyard now? Yeah. Waiohika yeah. estate. Yeah. Okay. Down in Gisborne. Down in Gisborne, right. And it's over New Year's Eve and it's massive. It was probably the biggest festival I've ever been to, um, like people-wise, space-wise, like it was so crazy. Um, and we were both volunteering at the festival. And um, and the part of the story that I find kind of hilarious that we're going to get into a little bit is when I met her, um, I didn't realize that uh, she was actually kind of interested in me and was hitting on me a little bit. She had actually invited me into her tent that night and I just thought she was being really nice to me who was a foreigner and I had like this tiny little one man tent. So I just thought she was being super nice to me and then it turned out we made a big joke the next day that um, she'd actually been, had other intentions. And, and I just, so that's the thing I was actually going to talk, bring up with her is how, um, how to navigate that world. Because when it's like heterosexual relationships are very, um, we see them everywhere. So it's very like a guy and a girl meet. And there's like that very easy tension that it's like, Ooh, I can tell you kind of lit. And it's more obvious than, um, I think there's expectations because of, you know, society, and all the stories that we've been told as kids and everything. So, right. So that expectation sets it, makes it easier. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Whereas that expectation kind of isn't there. And so then how, how have you found navigating that in the world? Wow, I made a lot of mistakes, didn't I? (laughs) Probably starting with you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think um, looking back, it was super, super awkward and confusing to to tune into how someone else was feeling. Because when Mm. obviously when when you make friends with a girl and you're a girl and you really like them, there is a connection there already. Mm-hmm. and 
for me, it was really confusing as to whether I actually fancied them or whether I just liked them as a friend. Right. Yeah. So I think that was actually probably that's been more of a um, more of a an interesting journey. Um, and still, sometimes like I'll get a crush on someone, um, and then I'll have to go. I have to like really think about whether what those feelings are and mm. whether they're whether they're actually romantic feelings or whether I just like this person is just so fucking cool and I want to hang out with them yeah um yeah and then there's the other person uh and how they feel and you know um actually have you heard of the Kinsey scale no no okay and the Kinsey scale is is something that really helped me because um I guess you know like you think well back when I was sort of um I guess uh you, I don't know I, I don't really want to call it coming out because I think I've always been bisexual but um when I started being interested in women mm-hmm. um I think it was yeah the hardest part is kind of um that some women actually are interested but maybe it's at a different level to what I'm interested in or mm-hmm. whatever so the Kinsey scale was basically one end of the spectrum is 100% gay and one of the end of the end of the spectrum is one hundred percent heterosexual, mm. but there are fifty thousand shades in between. Right, and we move through these at different ages and different um, events that happen in our life, and also with different connections. Right. So there's not really a you're this or you're that. Um, it's it's really fluid. It's it's actually you know, how, how do you feel about this person and how do you feel about this connection? Um, so I think I just really use that to navigate my way. And um, to be honest with you, I've slept with more women that call themselves heterosexual than um, that call themselves gay. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, and they just wanted to experiment and it just so happened to be me they wanted to experiment with, which was perfectly fine for me. <laughs> that's hard though too there's a hard piece to that yeah well I mean at the age that I was at and where I was at in my life that was okay with me but Mm -hmm. obviously I wouldn't be okay with that now I'm I'm more interested in you know a long-term commitment and finding a partner a life partner so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and so you had been had you always known you were bisexual or was that a discovery um it was I guess a discovery I had a crush on my PE teacher at Mm -hmm. high school and um and I knew what that was I knew that that I that it was something like really strong Mm um and yeah I mean I think um being sexually abused from such a young age it really kind of confused me about the parameters of relationships and um sex and Mm. what um what my body was for Mm -hmm. and so I think for me um sex with men 
was always kind of that's what they expected and that's what I needed to give and you know it was kind of like a job for me Mm. um and and an expectation a really big expectation right and yeah and and for me sex with women was was more about love and exploration and feeling safe and um yeah so I think it really it really is about what you've experienced and how you approach it yeah that's so that's so interesting so um and if this if this is too too invasive we can skirt it um when you were abused and when you were younger it was by a male like so there was a male who had crossed that boundary there were um there were um a few and yes they were all male okay Yep. Okay. And then no, no doubt that then that's going to have a lasting effect on how you can interact with males. Um, yeah. And I went to an all girls high school. Okay. So I think that just contributed to really not connecting with men in a safe environment. Yeah. It was, it was always, yeah. So it's always, it was always, you know, I think, you know, my older, um, my adult life it's been a really big um, challenge and one that I've really like really dived into because I I I've, I have a child and she's she's my mm-hmm. daughter and yeah. and I have a dad and my dad's amazing so you know it was it was really about kind of navigating how to have a healthy relationship with a male that um, didn't that you know that did feel safe um and that was yeah healthy there's so many different little um layers and tears that come with trying to work that out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so then and I've got some really great friends that are males like and I trust them but um you know there is still I guess because uh I was so young there's still that I still have that little tiny bit inside of me that is a little bit fearful like to be you know alone with them or to in certain spaces I have to go oh hang on a minute where's my boundaries oh okay wait a minute I think I'm gonna leave or you know step Mm -hmm. over here or say something yeah and have you ever felt that with women have you ever felt that crossing of boundaries or has it been like more seamless yeah, no, I've never, never felt uncomfortable with women. Amazing. Yeah. That's so fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, cause I'd probably say, I'd probably say I'm the opposite that I, I more so have often felt more uncomfortable with women because that I have found, um, the boundaries like even the boundaries of friendship. Like I I had a really big conversation with one, one of my really good friends the other day and, and our our relationship transitioned into different things over the years. And then it was just like, I just like said to her, I was like, I struggle so much in friendship to know like what level of friend I am with people and like, what is like, okay for me to ask of them. Or if that's like too much to ask for like our level. And I was just like having this whole big thing. And she, she made it really clear for me that she's like, Oh, I have orbits. So I have like my inner orbit and then my next orbit and all this. And I was like, I have exactly that. Yeah. That's, I wonder, did she see a psychologist? I think that was like, that was kind of like a therapy tool that I. Okay. Learned. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's, it helps with learning boundaries. 
mm-hmm. and and also language and um and how you talk to people and how and and um how you articulate what you need to with that person when they're in that tier you know right. that kind of I, I I call them my circles and okay. so my tight circle and then my next layer talk level of circle and then the next level and the next level out and it's and and your friends at different times can move into those and out of those as well yeah and it's just a really nice way to compartmentalize if you're somebody that feels quite um challenged by interpersonal relations it's a really nice way to to be able to fit like just figure out how how you want to be with that person yeah and also it needs to be based on your boundaries Christine it's like it's you know it's like you're just you just need to articulate to them where you stand right and it's up to them what they want to be for you you right and that's what I've started to learn and and it's interesting because the whole boundaries thing um boundaries and consent have been like globally a bigger conversation that's being had and needs to be had and in my, like I'm 31 and I look back on my childhood and like, we didn't have boundaries in my family that much. Like if my door was closed, people just walked in, like knocking wasn't a thing. Like there was so many things that I look back now and I'm like, no wonder I wasn't able to understand building boundaries with other people. I wasn't trained what boundaries meant. Like, like our, there was, there was just a lot of chaos in our life sometimes that, that boundaries just weren't even able to be had. Um, And at least then, I mean, now with different information and all that kind of thing, like, could we have made different boundaries? Because that's part of the conversation now, when I was growing up, that wasn't even a thing parents were told to do, think about boundaries. You know, like not having boundaries has probably made you more aware that you need them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've probably, you know, been, been kind of, like you know motivated to then look into what boundaries mean to you and why you need them and and how they keep you safe and and I I don't mean safe as in protected from violence or sexual violence I mean safe as in you feel at your best and you feel comfortable in Mm -hmm. every space that you're in yeah and you know what is like I recently have kind of um had some friendships Xnay out of my life like like that just happens as you get older um there it's still kind of painful sometimes and it goes through that but it's 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 some of them have have been my own choice because I realized like holy crap there was expectations that that person was having of me because boundaries weren't established because it was like a friendship from 10 years ago that I'm like holy I'm not willing to be that way anymore and I'm here's a wall here's a firm boundary and when we start to learn how to do that, when I start to learn, I'm just going to actually own this myself. I, um, it's made it, it, it has, it does create the safety container. Cause it's like, I know where I stand in my being with this person and with this person and with this person. And if I, and if I get curious, like, like my one friend who I, who we were talking about the different circles. And when we left, I was still like, we left the conversation and I was sitting and I was like, well, which circle am I in for her? And then literally like the, I was going through my mind and I get a text from her about 20 minutes later. She's like, and you're in my inner circle. You're like, I'm definitely in your inner circle. Cause you just telepathically answered my questions. <laughs> exactly. I literally wrote, I was like, thank you so much for knowing that I was going to be stewing about that. <laughs> but it's just, um, and then I've, I have a new friend kind of establishing and I've just like, from the get go, I was like, Hey, 
are you okay? If I call you for processing, like, are you okay to do these things? Like, this is something I need. Is this, and, and as we get older, we have different languaging, I think too, like language is such a key piece of this is knowing how to ask for the things we need and making sure the other person knows what you mean by that too. That's, that's a really big part of what I, what I practice and, and, and talk about as well as, is um, language and, and, and actually meeting the person where they are with mm-hmm. their language and, and not necessarily where you are. Because if you want to communicate with somebody, then you need to communicate on their level. Right. And, and that's, everyone, no, keep going. Everyone has different, you know, everyone has different levels of, our, um, you know, words and language that they use and based on, you know, their upbringing or their environment or whatever. And or their trauma. Uh, yeah, all yeah. the trauma. Um, one of the things I used to do when I worked in mental health, which was I kind of just come out of mental health, okay. um, was sitting on these boards that were um, funded, you know, by government, um, and they were to improve our, our mental health services. And you know, our responsibility and my position on on those groups was to bring the messages, the key messages from the community, up to government level so that changes could be made Mm. and so it was it was um yeah something that I learned and it was so so amazing to it is so amazing to be able to understand that there are different levels of communication and and that you do need to um deliver to the person that you're trying to communicate to Mm -hmm. yeah that makes so much sense the most important thing about communicating is that the person you're communicating with is understands what you're saying right yeah well because otherwise I've had conversations before with people that you leave and you're like I don't actually think we're on the same page at all and you just it almost feels worse because you like wasted all that time and there wasn't actually a a exchange there was like just this kind of breakdown and like I don't actually feel like we were on the same page nothing landed Yeah. yeah So did yeah. you say that you teach that? Like you, you try to teach people how to do that? Um, I used to, so in one of the programs that we ran, that I ran, um, it was a national lived experience leaders program. And one of the modules in that was called the power of language. And so the whole effort, essence of that was about what language you use, a anti-discriminatory language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just unconscious bias and being aware of, um the language that you use based on your audience or your environment so yeah I mean it's it's there's a lot of things that come into being able to communicate you know at different at different levels cool so would you work with like like leadership teams or like just or governments Um, or well so we worked with um people across the country that had um, experienced major major mental distress and wanted to um, or had become, so they were leaders in, in their community um, and were really comfortable about speaking about their mental health challenges and their experiences and uh, wanted to do a project um, that would um, promote um, decreasing discrimination and stigma yeah, in their community. So, yeah. Cool. And then, so you just said before that you've gotten out of mental health. Yes. 
Okay. What are you doing now? (laughs) I am building my own business, which is um, one side of it is um, one-to-one coaching and working with individuals. And um, the other side is a partnership with um, a friend of mine who um, sort of has the same background as me, but has, has experience in, in slightly different areas. And um, we have designed a online group coaching program nice. and that's around human behavior and emotional intelligence and behavior change. Nice. That's yeah. so awesome. That's like what I'm, I'm getting into. I'm reading this book on like how our brain under uh, the emotional life of the brain, like how the brain basically yeah, I saw understands. Your book. Yeah. I saw your books. I was like, I, I saw that one. And I was like, oh yeah, but I feel like I've done that. But the one saying, um, the one about um, being wrong, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in that one. So can you please read that one first and let me know? <laughs> um, yeah, I can. Um, I started that one, but I'm just, the emotional one has called to me, but I actually was thinking I might just send it to you. I, the being wrong one I got actually after I watched this Ted talk of the girl oh, yeah. who, um, wrote it and the Ted talk is pretty awesome. Um, I think it's only 20 minutes. So, and I think it's called like being wrong or how, how you know hard I mean? it is. Um, I can look at the book. I'll, I'll let you know after. Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. so you know, you um, but yeah, the emotional part, um, cause I started working with teenagers myself for a little bit because, um, I just feel like teens kind of get a, they have a bad stigma around them. Like people kind of are like, Oh, they're a teenager. And I remember when I was a teenager, I was like, when my depression like solidified for me, cause I was just like, no one freaking cares about me. No one like I were just written off. Like they're just written off as like, Oh, they're a teenager. When it's like, they actually need like so much support and love and all this stuff. So I, I did a teenage program, um, sorry, a yoga program for teenagers for six weeks. And one of the things I did in it was an emotional resonance meditation mm. where I just had them sit and ask their bodies like, Hey, where's happiness? Where does that reside in my body? Where does this reside? Awesome. Where it is laughter or not laughter, but like, um, joy or sadness or frustration. And we'd go through like the six universal um, emotions. And then we'd use like synonyms for those in the next week. And then I'd ask them, what is a word that you like? Ask your body where that shows up for you. So it's not just me telling you. And it was like, it was really cool. Cause at the end of the six weeks, I sent them all like a little, what did you like about the course? And all of them liked that meditation the most. And oh, I was like, really? Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. I was really, cause I thought it was the most repetitive meditation I did. Like I taught them different styles. Um, yeah. and a part of me, I was like, oh man, I hope that, I hope they like this. And if they don't, they don't. And it, it was just like an experiment and all of them across the board were like, that was so sweet. And I yeah. learned so much through that. And I was like, oh, yeah. this yeah, is freaking needed. Right. So I definitely need to get some journals over to you for the next one. Okay, cool. And is so it, what are your yeah. journals? these they are gratitude journals um so they're called three good things Mm -hmm. and uh I guess like a lot of my um wow the last how long I've been running that so yeah nine years oh my gosh I was gonna say I think you were just starting it when I met you yeah it must have been just after that that I was that I started it maybe yeah um yeah because it was in March that I started doing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess um, 
my gosh, now this is bringing back lots of memories because I must have, like, just after I met you, I must have turned 30 Mm -hmm. in the new year. And that's when shit changed for me. It's, like, really, like, a lot on a deep level. And, yeah, and I... Can we pause for a sec? What do you mean by that? (laughs) Well, um... On my 30th birthday, I um, had a party and I took it too far, all the uh, celebrations, Mm -hmm. i.e. alcohol and drugs, Mm -hmm. and I ended up in hospital for the weekend. Okay. And it was really the catalyst for a really deep change in my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my dad brought Millie to come and see me, who was three at the time, and she gave me this look um that was like a a thousand words and you know the the things that I found in her look were things like is this how you want me to end up is this how you want to um lead me through life is this how is this you know is this the end game for me too is this what you want me to end up like and that was really 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 um shocking for me it was like a punch in the face and Mm. it's kind of the first time I've ever really externally thought of who I was and how I was behaving and Mm. it started me on this massive journey of introspection and and you know gratitude practice and meditation and and then ultimately you know learning and um, working with research psychologists and neuroscientists and all these really spectacular people around the world. Um, Yeah, so I think gratitude, and Millie started doing a gratitude practice at three as well. And, you know, it's like looking at at her and how articulate and connected she is to her emotions and how she feels and her body. Um, I really do um, think that the gratitude practice allowed and and encouraged that for her Mm -hmm. um yeah and you know it's like you're saying you know um how it's really important that teenagers have the support you know at that age and and you're absolutely right there the not only does the body hormonally go through massive changes but the brain literally rebuilds itself right in in those ages so it's like you're you're becoming a whole new, you know, you're shedding a skin, you're becoming right. an adult. It's a huge changes. And more than ever, kids at that age need guidance and support mm-hmm. and understanding. And, you know, just to know that it's okay that their emotions are really, really heightened or they're going to be extreme at, at some point. And and also that that, that will pass. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we have one of the highest suicide teenage suicide rates in New Zealand and in, in the world wow. and you know it, yeah some as as long as young as sort of 10 um and and I believe it's because they're not being heard then yeah. it, it's not being showing to them that it's okay to have these extreme emotions you know and and a support or you know a little wrap around mm-hmm. to support that that person yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a gap. I'm, I'm, I'm starting work with a, with a, a center in Calgary, the center for wellness 
um, wholeness and well-being. Um, and that's what they're trying to do is support kind of all levels and the family unit together through mental health struggles and addiction struggles, because oftentimes it just gets focused on one avenue. And then this whole other being that's affected by it is just left out. And, um, we just, I think there's so much modeling changes that are starting to take, take work and, and take, um, starting to actually like filter into mainstream now that is so, so, so amazing. Yeah. Um, and your three good things I remember, cause I remember, I remember it was just starting for you. Um, and I love how you put it three good things. Cause I've, I've talked to people about gratitude before. And for some reason, the concept of gratitude people struggle with a little bit. Yeah. yeah, It's really big. And, and I've had some people say, well, I can't just feel gratitude when gratitude is actually like, I looked it up. It's more of a disposition. It's more of like a choice and a way to engage with the world around you. But I loved how you said it's just three good things. Yeah. And, and so do you want to describe how you kind of came up with this way of, of doing it? Well, actually it was a Sean Accor Ted talk. Okay. And um, it was happiness at work, okay. I think it was called. And <clears throat> and he talked about he talked about the the concept of three good things. Just write down three good things every day. Mm-hmm. And and so when I did it, so um, my friend who was doing it, she challenged me to a hundred days of three good things. And a hundred days being that that's the length of time it takes to implement a habit, right? Mm-hmm really solidify the habit right. into your lifestyle and the uh, you know over over the years of of doing three good things and of um, running a you know a kind of a global page of followers that um, were doing three good things and posting them mm-hmm. I did a lot of little experiments that's why it's called the happiness experiment yeah. um, because uh, you know it literally was about me um doing all these experiments on, on all these people and myself of how habit does form. When does it form? When do we find the, the light resistance, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and do we get back up on to the wagon Mm -hmm. or are we more likely to stay off? And what does it take us to get back on the wagon? Um, And all of them. So we did like, I did like 21 days, 66 days, um 90 days and then obviously the 100 so I did a lot of like analysis because I Mm. love analyzing people Mm -hmm. um but yeah three good things um it just seemed really self-explanatory you know Mm -hmm. it's like if you want to talk to as many people as you possibly can then you really have to tell them what the thing is Mm -hmm. that you want them to know Mm -hmm. and three good things it's like, oh, I do three good things. What's that? Three good things. We'll write down three good things every day. It's that simple. Uh, it's actually not that simple. Like really, if you want to make a habit change, you want to do three good things right before you go to bed. Okay. Um, because, you know, the, um, the, the process of reflecting on your day and finding good things that have happened in your day then releases serotonin and serotonin is like a melatonin and it helps you sleep better. So if you're sleeping better, then you're going to wake up more clear and fresh. And so it kind of is a cycle that you kind of need to do. Um, you know, a lot of people like to do, do gratitude in the morning mm-hmm. um, and start their day well. 
Um, but yeah, I think like all the all the neuroscience and stuff that I've studied, it really does. It's more of an impact if you're doing it in the evening. Interesting, yeah. because then it kind of sets it. So the way I would think through that perhaps is that it like kind of brings no matter what emotions you had in the day, what anger, what maybe frustration or joy or whatever happened through the day, you end it with three good things. So that no matter what the way you're ending the day is on a happy note, and then you go to sleep on a gratitude note, maybe not happy because happy and gratitude are not the same thing. Um, But um, that you go into a place of like recognizing, oh, these three things that were good did happen. And then you go to sleep. Well, gratitude and being grateful is, is really high frequency vibration to operate in as mm-hmm. well in the mm-hmm. world, right? So, uh, and when we sleep is when we are closest to our higher, higher self or, you know, um, where we can, um, our brain processes all the things that has happened in the day and also the time where we get downloads, you know, if you're, if you are a spiritual person, you might, you'll get that, but mm-hmm. If not, it's a very, you know, it's a very like open time. Um, And I think sleep is is like probably one of the most important things for a human Mm -hmm. to be able to function at their best. So if you go into sleep um, in a a peaceful state, it means your sleep's going to be better. And the way to invoke that is to reflect on positive things that make you feel grateful or that make you feel calm or supported or engaged or um believed in or any of those positive emotions Mm -hmm. yeah and so when you were doing all of the the kind of testing like the 21 days the 60 days all those kind of things did you test them at different times of the day too just to try to get like as much information and um, I didn't do that too much because I already had done the the studies that showed about the sleep stuff. Okay. And <clears throat> so it was kind of like I'd already got to that stage where I knew that this needed to be a practice that was in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously everybody around the world, go, they went to sleep at different times. Um, so there was just a constant flow of, you know, of people's three good things, which was so amazing. Wow. Um, and now I have a private group because a lot of the barriers to the page um, expanding were that people often started a practice of three good things when they weren't feeling good mm-hmm. and they didn't feel comfortable sharing mm-hmm. um, their gratitudes with that many people. Right. So the bigger it got, the less people posted. So, so now I have a, a private group and people feel a little bit more comfortable and confident. Um, and there's, there's probably a, actually about 60% of the people generally that don't post anything, but that read, read the posts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's enough of, for them and their engagement, which is, yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. That's so cool. And I, I wonder, um, like, has there been any studies on even just, just what that would do that? Like if someone is really struggling to see the good in their own life is reading the good about someone else's life going to yes. still in, inspire that it doesn't get competitive. It's still a release of, um, a release of, of good chemicals and, okay. and, and, and that is definitely better than not the release of good chemicals in your body. Right. Obviously, it's not going to impact you the way that it would if you were 
writing it down or whether you were posting it every day. Um, but, you know, everyone's at different levels in their journal journey and it's up to them when they you know, want to do it or not do it. Right. So then you mentioned as well that you, there's like that hurdle. It's like, I think, I think anyone who tries to create a habit and like, um, I'm getting a habit journal here soon, um, to try to help me just really track it a little bit. Cause sometimes I'm like, Oh, I totally did it that many times this week. And then you're like, Oh wait, no, I didn't. I forgot that day, that day, that day. And there is the (laughs) book. I haven't fully read it. I've, I've, I'm a snippet kind of person sometimes, but there's the atomic habits book, um, where he basically says like, you have to kind of layer your habits and have it be like an automatic thing that comes after another thing. Um, but yeah, so it's just like in the morning, like you brought, like you'd get up, you brush your teeth, you'd have your glass of water, you'd go do your stretching. You'd, and it's just like, it just becomes a routine, um, that actually eliminates the amount you have to make a choice about something. Oh, totally. Totally. I'm Aquarian, right. And my whole life I have struggled with routine. I, I hated routine. I was like, routine is mind numbing and routine is hard. And I just don't work like that. And I just was like, no, nah, I just not into routine. Like mm-hmm. give me spontaneity and I will thrive. Um, but actually exactly what you said, um, having some kind of routine in the morning or the night actually takes off the pressure that is, on your mind yeah it it actually allows you to feel like you've achieved something as well even if if it's as little as brushing your teeth right Um, and then the action of brushing your teeth is actually you know it's getting your your brain to a state of almost like a meditative state it's like having a shower you know it's the things that you do when you're in the routine you can still think about one million other things if you want to but actually just doing something enables you to kind of um, be processing. That's so interesting. The, the way I heard it, um, that makes so much sense though, that like those little bits, it's just like, it becomes like a morning, a lengthy morning meditation flowing in and out of like the few little routines that you do. The way it was described to me recently was that, um, the brain has like a, a maximum amount of choices it can make in a day before it starts to feel overloaded. And so if you're wasting your choice energy being like, am I going to do that thing this morning or not do that thing? Am I going to do this thing this morning or not do that thing? Then you wasted (laughs) so much of your energy on like, am I going to do yoga or not do yoga on deciding (laughs) instead of just having it, this is a routine I do that sets me up for the day. And then you have all that energy spent on your projects or like whatever else you want to do. Being creative. Like right. getting, getting creative in your mind whilst you're doing those things. It just, right. Yeah. It, it frees up space. Right. Um, but I, so the question I wanted to come back to is where did you find in your um, kind of experiments, the resistant point when people would have this habit going for a while and it's like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. It was probably at about nine days, actually. Nine. Between seven and between seven and maybe nine or 10 days. And because when you commit to um, doing a hundred day practice, a lot of people jump in Mm -hmm. without really thinking about what that's going to be like Mm -hmm. and without thinking about where they can fit it into their routine, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what they're trying to build. They're trying to build a habit and they're trying to build it into their routine. So 
starts off with a whiz bang and is like really exciting and oh I better do that oh yes I've got it no I've got to put an alarm on so I remember to do it um and then and then it and then there's this release of um joy and and they feel their mood elevated you know from that first week of doing it that they think oh I don't need to do that because I'm I'm a really happy person I don't I'm really grateful. I'm really happy. And so they, they lose the belief in, in the process and, and the importance of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when they kind of go, ah, I don't really need it. And they put it lower down on the priority level. Right. And, and then, you know, sometimes people will forget one day and they think that they're a failure. And so they'll, oh, well, I've, I don't want to start again. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but the, I mean, I, I, what I found was um, ke- ke- to keep people doing it is, is encouragement and support. Right. And accountability. You know, right. it's like if you've got to tap in with somebody, someone's expecting to see your three good things on that page before you go to bed, you're going to remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're, we're humans that like, you know, we do like to give giving is feels good right so if you've got to do it for someone else then you're more likely to to do it right isn't that so I find that piece so fascinating I I haven't followed a lot of Rachel Hollis but um my sister gave me her book girl wash your face and in the beginning of it and I think I just needed that first chapter because she basically said we make all these promises to our friends that we would never break but how many promises do you break with yourself And how many times do you say you're going to go for that run? And then you times it comes to go for that run. And if you had a friend, you wouldn't have broken doing it. You would have done it. You have to start treating yourself like you would your friend. And Jordan Peterson actually says a similar thing that treat yourself like you're somebody you're, it's your responsibility to take care of. Yeah. That it, and, and it's, it's so fascinating that we just like that. That's a hard thing for most people. I haven't met somebody yet that that's an easy thing for them to do. You know what I mean? For us to put ourselves first is like, I think some of it is in our training. Like my mom and I had this conversation where like for her watching my generation grow up, um, she loves how much my, my generation thinks about ourselves and self-care and stuff. Whereas like her generation, it was like, don't be selfish. Don't you dare be selfish. Right. And, but it's actually so fascinating because that little bit of being selfish, and I don't even really like the word selfish, but, um, or the negative well, that, connotation. That's a, see, that's a challenge in itself. Right. And that's a barrier for you in, in itself. Right. And, and again, it comes back to language, you know, and the representation that we have of one word can yeah. cause so many ripples and, and emotions and feelings. Right. Like the fact that selfish, the word selfish, brings all these negative connotations to you immediately. There you go. That's That's the issue. Yeah. Selfishness is, you know, should be held in high regard. It's, it's yeah. Societal's perspective of the understanding of the word selfish that that has been mis- misled, I think. We've put, yeah, we've made it a bad thing rather than a good for you. You are selfish. Thank you. Because yeah. only when we actually are looking after ourselves can we serve others. Like yeah, that's totally. the thing. So if, yeah. if I'm in a state and like, and I've been that way, like I, I went through a long depression where like, I couldn't think about anybody but myself because I couldn't think about anything, like nothing yeah. mattered. And so yeah. 
I had to go through a period of being super, super selfish. And I think that's where it got shamed in me is my sisters didn't really understand it. And yeah. there was one day when like my sister's boyfriend, I, I, I couldn't, I, they, if they ever listen to this podcast, they'll probably start laughing, but um, <laughs> it's actually something that's bothered me so much because I picked them up from a party at 1130 or 12 o'clock at night. And he was drunk, but he basically yelled at me at how selfish of a person I had been over the last little while, because I was looking after myself. Like I was, mm-hmm. I had boundaries up and I wasn't just showing up for my family without any of that. So like the way I was interacting with my family had changed and he just kind of like called it out. Cause I think my sister had probably complained a little bit. And, and I just remember driving him home drunk being like, what? <laughs> yeah. But I think that's where it came in. And, and since then, like, I've always been like, I'm not a selfish person, but yeah, I am in a good yeah. way. Yeah. Well, it's the same with, um, you know, like, uh, what's the, what's that really like narcissism? Like right. there's a little bit of narcissism in all of us. Right. It's really about how much you feed it. Right. right. Every negative emotion is there for a purpose. Right. And if you can use it in a positive way, like, selfish you know Mm self-care like we need to be selfish this amount of of our life or this amount of our day in order for us to be our best selves so that we can serve others if you want to put it into that sentence then that's great you know but it's it's, yeah perspective eh? Mm -hmm. the narcissism piece is one I like that you brought that in because um I find that word gets thrown around so much right now. Like, oh, they're a narcissist or, oh, they're that. And it's like, there is such thing as narcissistic personality disorder. That is a literal disorder that like they had trauma that helped make that disorder that they have to work through. Absolutely. But the majority of people don't have that. And it's actually quite a rare disorder. And the word like, oh, they're a narcissist is thrown away it's almost taken over. It's almost taken over selfish now instead yeah, of calling people perfect. selfish. But if you've reframed the language, mm-hmm. here we go. I'm going to talk about language again. <clears throat> that person is behaving in a narcissistic way. It then takes it away from that person is this particular behavior to this person is behaving like this. So again, it takes away that stick, that discrimination that that person is a bad person and elevates it to, oh, this person is behaving this way. What is making them behave this way? Mm-hmm. Maybe they need some support or guidance in decreasing the amount of behavior that they're displaying mm-hmm. of narcissistic, you know. Or maybe they just need to do it for themselves for now too, you know, yeah. like that's let them be that way for a bit, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so was there anything in your experimenting that surprised you that when you were kind of going through all the happiness, kind of watching different things that was like more surprising? Um, surprising. I guess it wasn't surprising because I had done it myself, but it was amazing just to see how many people were positively impacted by doing a hundred days, like literally hundreds of people all over the world. And I think still, you know, I recently, um, someone in our private group, you know, did her hundred days and 
she, you know, posted about it and said, this has literally changed my life. Mm. And I think that's, that's really what it was about for me. It's like me having that experience myself and really understanding how much of an impact and how many ripple effects that doing a go-to practice had on my life and still does have on my life mm-hmm. um, is something that I really wanted to share and for other people to experience. And so it's not surprising, but it, oh my God, it fills me with joy. Like, oh man, it's so amazing to to see people on their journey and their language change mm-hmm. through every day of, of a three-month practice. You know, it's like you can see their perspective shift and you can see their self-awareness coming into play with, with the words that they write and the, and the language that they use. And it's, ah, oh, it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> Aww. And is it, there's something to actually physically writing it down, correct? Like it's not just bringing it to mind. There's something in the writing it. Yeah, there is something in it. I haven't really looked into that a lot. I know okay. that there is, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you. I mean, I did definitely did the studies years ago, but I don't remember what it actually was, but there is something about um, better processing or um, something about um, if it's in your brain and you write it down it's like journaling right okay. it's like a release of of something that has been on your mind so maybe it's maybe it's like I could probably you know guess what it is in a spiritual sense it's it's really um you know law of attraction you're right. putting out you're putting out positive so you're going to get get more back yeah right get their right. karma working for you yeah yeah That's so interesting um I had a question. So I, um, oh, coming back also to the idea of like when people, um, we often do these practices, we come to practices when we're in a, in a bad state, we come to something to help us shift out of it. And then, like you said, we reach that time where it's like, oh, I'm feeling better. I don't need this anymore. When when if you were to actually continue it your gratitude would like exponentially grow because if you actually paid attention to the things you're grateful for when you're in a happy state they're probably going to be deeper and bigger than when you're in a shallow state so it'd actually be able to grow that so much more is that something you were able to see happen oh definitely yeah that's what that's what you do see if somebody sticks to a 100 day practice it's you know uh, they start recognizing and like for me who's uh, someone that gets bored really easily and the mm. first time um, that mm. I that I did <clears> the <throat> 100 days and I was set I was set you know 100 days I actually ended up doing it for nearly three years and so during that time I was like okay I know that I'm still going to do this but it's getting a little bit repetitive and a little bit boring and mm-hmm. I really want to spice it up a bit so I started injecting all these like different little um, like themes to my gratitudes. <laughs> like today I'm going to focus on people and tomorrow I'm going to focus on nature and tomorrow and the next day I'm going to focus on um, like, and then I'll dive deeper into one topic or nice. like, today is just going to be about the gratitude that I have for myself mm-hmm. or a particular animal or like, you can just go into all these, like <laughs> down all these little rabbit holes and, and yeah, and it does, it just expands your, your, 
a awareness for the world around you and b like just how much you can get out of that that one topic or that one thing you start to like really like investigate or research it and it becomes you know this piece of knowledge that that's you know really exciting yeah oh man that's so cool and you said so you said millie's been doing this since she was three well she started at three she started, she started meditating at, at three and she's so she's been meditating no sorry she started meditating at five and she's she still meditates not every day now but definitely more days than not Mm -hmm. um and the three good things she kind of popped in and out of it over the years Mm um and yeah but yeah she's 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 like the most compassionate thoughtful considerate kind little human that I know and she's really smart and she's really intuitive like when it comes to people she's your gal you know, mm. <laughs> she just picks up on everything. And if someone's not feeling so great, she's the first person to say, what can we, what can we do? You know, like what, what makes you, what makes you tick? What like inspires you? And, you know, like at, coming out at the end of lockdown, I had a friend <clears throat> who wasn't doing so well. And I said to him, oh, me and Millie will come over and we'll do some yoga online with you in the morning, literally the day after lockdown lifted for us. And so I went over there and I um, said to Millie, I was going to go do some yoga online with a friend. And, um, and I said, oh, he's, he's um, you know, found it quite, quite tough during lockdown. Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, quite challenging for him. And so when we got there and we're doing the yoga, um, she says to him, um, what, what did she say? I can't remember her exact words, but it was something like, what's your passion? Or like, what makes you really happy? And he said, doing makeup. And she was like, oh, well, let's do that then. I'll be, you know, your your makeup person. You can do it on me. And so we spent, we spent the afternoon getting our makeup done. And you can just, yeah, she's just so, yeah, considerate. And it's, she's yeah like me in that way I guess she just wants to see people at their best <laughs> yeah but that's yeah. do you think that's a bit of because like she is like you and I, I you're like that like I remember you being like that like just always having the positive positive view and not that you don't have space for the negative because that's like there's toxic positivity like that does exist oh, where totally. people aren't willing to um be with the other side of life which is like we have all spectrums in life um but that you, you, it's just a reshape, a reshaping, a reframing, right? Yeah. That like this, this kind of sucks right now, but how can we just lighten the mood of it? How can we bring it up better? And do you think it like for her, it's probably like a double dose of genetics, but you also helped her train that, like train that muscle of gratitude and looking for the benefit and looking for how to lift someone up. And yeah, I think, um, because of her own struggle, she's she's a really anxious child as well. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I guess all of that, I mean, it's it's her whole life experience. You know, right. she had a mum that wasn't, wasn't so great and that she really worried about when she was really little. Right. And I think that's, you know, really impacted her and, you know, um, feeling like something might happen to me or, you know, having these abandonment kind of challenges that she does. Um, 
and you know there was a period of time where she was really struggling herself mm-hmm. and she would have um a lot of meltdowns and and each you know each meltdown I really stuck with her like stayed in the room with her and yes. just sat with her and you know allowed her the space to be able to feel what she was feeling but then always try to um get her to identify or name what it was that she was feeling and like you did with these teens where Mm -hmm. it was in her body so that she could actually represent or she could identify how she was feeling and I so I think gratitude has just kind of been been able to expand that vocabulary um and you know when when she has meltdowns um having that processing, having that support mm-hmm. to process it in a healthy way and not not in a judgmental way. It's okay that you're feeling this way. Um, let's just sit with it. Might, what might be the reasons um, or some of the events that have happened to make you feel this way? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so maybe that's something that we don't do again or maybe we can um, approach that certain situation or friend group or whatever it is um uh, with this in mind when we are feeling like this or um and yeah I think that's like something that we never got taught you know it's like emotion regulation is something that generations before us have never not only never been taught but have never acknowledged is an, an important part of being a human right yeah and and so, you know, we've now got a whole bunch of adults that that just don't actually understand how to regulate their own emotions or how to manage their emotions mm-hmm. and, and are shameful that they feel these intense emotions. Right. And, yeah, I guess that's what, what I'm here to change. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. That's like, I feel like we're on such different or such similar pages um total worlds apart like we're opposite sides of the world so that's awesome because that's kind of that's what I want to change too like um it's it's funny that we're we've like come full circle and we're like you know we're like operating in in a really similar kind of space and do you know what it's funny because there are some really um important people that I've met traveling all over the world that um that is it's now the same with like the ones that I've kept in touch with have now we've we've literally landed on the same page and we're doing the same things it's yeah it's so cool I love it yeah well that I mean that's like that law of attraction and I know some people the law of attraction can get misled and misguided that you just have to wish for something and it'll happen like no there's actions that go in you have to put one step in front of the other to attract what we want um but I I really see that that like the, the people who, who is attracted to each other, it's, it's for similar reasons. And we have similar motivations and we want to see the similar things exist in life. And, and that's one for me, like, I, I just know I was never trained how to deal with the emotions that I had. And so, um, people often think of depression as like sadness when depression is actually just like suppression. Like it's just a lack of any emotion. Um, and And also depression can, can, 
can actually come out in different ways. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of the time depression for me is frustration. I just yeah. get frustrated really fucking quickly. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm, you know, if I'm depressed, I just don't have the time or the capacity to deal with humans. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's how mine, mine would be that way. Or I would go into what, um, the term that I never even thought of up until recently, someone was, um, teaching me a little bit more about like our nervous system and, mm-hmm. um, the concept of shutdown like that, yeah. that we would. And, and I remember, like, I can think back in times, like I used to climb into my closet and I would just lay in my closet for hours. Cause it felt small and safe. And mm. I remember my dad would like come looking for me and then he'd open up, he'd be like, Oh, you're here again. And I'm like, yep. I'm here again. And like, and like, I look back now and it's like, I was just shutting down. Like I was just making it that I didn't have to have any more stimuli coming yeah. in because yeah. it just becomes over. It can become overwhelming when we don't know yeah. how to manage like, such big shit. Yeah. And, and already your internal system is, is overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so you can't possibly, and that's what you were doing. You were going, yeah. no, um, there's too much going on in, in here and you weren't able to understand how to process that out mm-hmm. or, you know, or how to go. talk about it. I think that was yeah. a piece. Like I remember my mom, my mom tr- was like, she, she tried a lot, like when I was in such a bad state for a while and she would just leave space for me to talk to her, but I didn't even have the words. Like I didn't know what to say. The only things yeah. that would come to me felt like I was going to hurt her. And so I didn't want to do that. And so I just remember, I just like would stay silent. And I think that's what I, that's, that was the main piece. Like when I came to making the course for the teenagers, it was, it was literally the baseline was be the change I want to see in the world. Like that was like, what yeah. would, and, and be what you didn't the have. Same. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I oh. have that tattooed on my wrist. Amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and the other phrase of that is be what you needed when you were little. Yeah. Oh, so those two combined that you was dreamed would save you. Yeah. And so I was like, so those were kind of the things that inspired me when I was making the courses, like what, what was, what was missed that I know had I been taught that at 14 or 15 could have changed things for me, could have, could have changed things quicker or whatever. And, and some of it was just being able to know how to speak to what we're feeling. I think we don't have the terminology for it. Even as adults, I know, like I have friends who sometimes I'll just look at them and I'll be like, what, what's happening? What's happening here? And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, I, I can see something's going on. I can feel this real crazy energy from you. Yeah. Can you, do you know what it is? And I I have one friend who's like, no, I don't know. And she'll have to, she has to go process by herself and then can come back and talk about it. I'm a, I'm more of an external processor. I like being able to talk it out. Um, I'm I'm a lot. I'm like your friend. I gotta go away on my own. I gotta be alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot more people are actually like that than, (laughs) than like me. I don't think many people, as many people need to process it out. But, but I've actually realized like, if I can't, um, if I have a strong emotion and I don't have somebody to process out with, I'll just stew and there's no working it out. Um, which may, which has also enlightened why I struggled so much when I was younger. Cause I wasn't externally processing. I was trying yeah. to do it all myself and I can't, yeah. like, I, I need to be able to talk it out. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's both things for me actually. Like mm. if I'm really overwhelmed, I have to have some time alone. Yeah. Um, but then after that, that time alone, I feel, 
that I need to that I need to talk, bounce it off somebody and just yeah. like get it out. Yeah. But that that works either with journaling or talking for me. Yeah. Okay. The journaling piece for me, like I I've been a journaler a lot of my life, and um, I go back and forth from it. Um, I'm trying to get back on track because I do find it helpful, but sometimes what I find for me, um, the act of having to write it means I have to slow my mind down and in slowing my mind down, I don't actually get it all out as fast. Whereas if I can just blah, 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 and like verbal diarrhea, it basically, um, <laughs> it gets it all out and there's like a process. So I, I learned about it through, um, I don't know. But you just of- hit the nail on the head. Cause that's, that's, that's the, the challenge is that it, your, your brain is going too fast, right? It's, it's having like, you know, the 30,000 thoughts that we have a day, yours is like gonna, it's going at a 60,000 rate. So writing it down and having to force your mind to construct sentences about how you're feeling helps to clarify what the problem is or what the solution could be or a pathway to get there. See what I've found when I've been able to have somebody and I've, I've actually practiced even just, just doing this to myself. Um, oh, yeah. if I don't like, if my partner, cause he's more solitary, if we're, if we have a fight, he needs to process by himself. And then I'm like, I need to talk this out. So either I do <laughs> have friends who like, I'll call up and they'll let me just kind of get it out because so I, I found, um, have you heard of human design? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, cool. I just found that recently and was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. And I went deep dived into it, of course. I've become so obsessed with it to the point that like, I think some of my friends are like, yes. Okay. Christine, human design. Yes. Okay. Um, but there's a thing called a self-projecting projector and yeah. there's not tons of them, but what she, the woman who I follow, who helped me understand it was um, the verbal diarrhea piece for me is I have to be able to say it all because in saying it, I'm going to speak my truth that I need to hear myself here. Ah, so if awesome. I actually yeah, yeah. physically yeah. slow it down, I'll miss yeah. getting that piece. What the truth is. The yeah. truth, because I'll actually like my bi- mind will take over and block myself from getting the truth out to hear myself. Gotcha. And I've actually had it. I actually awesome. had it in a podcast once. Like I was just like, blah, 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 and like I said something and I was like, oh, and it was oh. hearing myself say it. Um, yes. And it's fascinating when I learned that about human design and about myself, it was like, you know, like when you have like a download or something and it's like all these like things in your life are just like, it was like, all of this just like made sense as to why I was the way. Oh my gosh. I'm having so much of those lately as well. So what are you in human design? Huh? What do you, what is your design or what is the main pieces? Shoot. I think I just like, oh um I'll have to look it back up okay I'm also one of those people that I'll I'll go hard out into something and and absorb it and then let it go like I don't keep barely anything in my memory I have a terrible memory interesting to to have more I guess but I'll send you mine it's okay um, really it was really cool I was like oh yep yeah (laughs) That's the piece that I found so fascinating about it. And I might end up doing a training because I'm just, I'm so enthralled by it. I was thinking about doing a training too. Yeah. Oh, we should do it together. That'd be so fun. Yeah. I think we should do it together. I, cause I think that would really support the work that I do. It's it's another 
it's another it's like another approach to add to you know the kite of 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 concepts and and theories and and approaches that i already use so i was like oh yep this sounds pretty cool but it's quite intensive like there's a lot of there's a lot of like like there's a lot of um it it feels like very formulaic you know yes yeah and it can get a bit like the one girl i follow sorry what were you saying I was just saying it's it's like a puzzle you know there's a lot yeah. of pieces to it and it needs to be complete like you need to understand the entirety of it to be able to practice it yeah which for me that's a, that's probably been my barriers like oh nah it's it's a bit too big mm. for me to, to do right now anyway and yeah yeah the but one I'm came to look into it with you yeah we'll have to we'll definitely do that um and the one, the one girl I follow, I like it because she, she says that if this isn't empowering to you, if what I say or what you learn about it doesn't resonate or doesn't feel empowering, let it go because yeah. it's not supposed to hold you back. It's not supposed to be a thing, but it's supposed to give you permission to embody a thing that you've already felt in yourself yes. that maybe you've shamed. And like, that's, that's what it was for me, like growing up the amount of teachers, the amount of times I was told to stop talking, the amount of times I was told like, oh, Christine, like, like just shut up basically (laughs) when what I've realized is like, I talk it out to understand. And so it blocks my ability to understand. Yeah. But but in that she's also said to me, like, um, you also have to be careful of who you do that with, because if I get the wrong reflection or if I get too much of other people's bullshit as I'm trying to talk it out. Um, and I've had that happen. I mean, I've had some terrible relationships where, where like gaslighting central basically, because they just, if they're not somebody who can hold the space to just allow my process to be the process, then it gets interrupted. And then my process gets interrupted. Yes. And I think that is exactly the reason that I have stopped doing so much of the bouncing and Mm. processing via verbal, you know, audible. Right. Yeah. Because I think, if if you do I definitely have those friends where they will be happy to just hold space for me and and just let me talk and just ask questions that will enable me to take my understanding further or Mm -hmm. you know kind of let it out and see see you know other sides to it or whatever different perspectives but but there's very few and far between that can actually hold that space without influencing even just with their own energy and I'm Mm -hmm. such an energy magnet that I often take on the perceptions of others Mm -hmm. and and then I'm not true to myself I don't end up being true to myself and my own opinions so that's why I feel like journaling as a kind of like my new and safer way to to always kind of only hold like my truth I mean it's really great to have other people's perspectives on something absolutely sometimes yeah but when it's when it's something that's you know really kind of deep and and you you, that Mm -hmm. is about you and how you behave or have reacted or responded or what you know like all that really kind of deep stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah it definitely needs to come from within a It's interesting because I've definitely, I've been the other person on that side before where I thought I was helping when I wasn't. Um, Mm. And I'm, it's taken me a while to understand that, um, but I'm happy, like, 
I've had like some really deepening into under, I think by understanding what I need from others, then it also helps me understand what I was doing wrong for others and how I can actually better show up for other people. Um, and how, like what was actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I've definitely like been the person that is way too leaning on the side of like trying to give advice. Mm -hmm. And that was a massive, that was a massive learning curve Mm -hmm. for me. Cause it was like, actually this person doesn't want my opinions or perspectives. They just, they just need to like let it out and be heard and figure it out for themselves. Yeah. That was like a, yeah. It's, it's like an aha moment almost. Like it's just like, oh, oh I was yeah. doing that wrong for so long. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, fucked up, I fucked up so many conversations with you. Sorry about that. Yeah. And it's funny, like when I had a realization of it, like there was a few friends that I know, like I can just like bring to conversations being like, oh, that's why that went so wrong. And it's like, I wish I could go back and like change it, but you can't because that's not yeah. how life works. Um but it's just like, it's just like, you just have to embody. And I think that's like that, that book coming back to that book of being wrong in the Ted talk, she says that, that being wrong is one of the best things that we can do. Cause that's where we learn when oh you have gosh, the Sarah. realization of like, Oh, I didn't do that. Right. Or, yes. Oh, I was wrong about that. Great. Yes. Yeah. So much. Cause it's like, it's like the so much deeper um, journey of, of learning mm-hmm. when when you do, especially like me, like I, when I do something, I do it a hundred percent. And if I believe in something, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. So often, you know, I've done quite a lot of research to be able to get to that opinion. And if that is then proven wrong, it's like, Oh my God. Okay. All right. Let's, I I feel like (laughs) it's an opportunity to like just rip shit apart and like have this blank field about this topic again and go, Oh my God. Okay. We can paint this picture again now. You know, it's like, um, right. Ooh, okay. It's yeah. I just, yeah. I it's an opportunity excited. rather than, and, and, and she, so the, in the Ted talk, um, she talks about how basically our culture, um, and I'd say almost a global culture. Like, I don't even think it's like art. I think it's just like human beings. We tend to like, think it's like a shameful thing to be wrong. When she basically says being wrong is like the best opportunity because it's like, like you just said there, like, oh, I can now relearn this whole thing. Cool. Like what (laughs) an amazing place to be in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Curiosity is like, I, I think it's, when you strip away ego of, of being wrong, there's, it's like just opens a whole other world of, of opportunity to, to learn. And learning is like my freaking number one thing in life. Like, yeah. And like learning from a curiosity space, not from, not from an outcome space, you know, yeah. learning and to, Yeah learning for curiosity and learning for the journey of learning as opposed to learning for, you know, like a certificate at the end or, or to make a decision on something. Like I, mm-hmm. if, I, if I have to learn to, for an outcome, I'm way less motivated to learn. Right? <laughs> it's so interesting. Like I, I remember like, cause I, I've dropped out of three universities. Oh yeah. Before. No, I dropped out of three. Wow. Because 
because I kind of get to be like that. Like I just find my inspiration is gone, especially if I don't have the exact why or what I was going for, then it's like, I just lose the curiosity of wanting to know the information anymore. I'm just like, eh, whatever. I'd rather just go read this book. That seems really interesting. And like, just the ability to follow my own curiosity, I have found to be way more fulfilling for me. I learn way more. I just found school to be about achievement. Like it, it, it about, it was about like getting that that mark on that grade or getting this, getting this, getting this. And if you don't get the right marks and you're not going to be able to become the thing you want to be instead of what do you want to learn? Yeah. What do you want to learn? Why do you want to learn it? What do you want to do with that knowledge? And I have found like, I'm, I'm a perpetual learner. Like it's almost, it's almost like an obsession for me. Like I have to, I've had to re mind myself like, Hey, Christine, put on music. You don't need to listen to a third podcast today. Just put on some music. Like, it's like, I have to remind myself to turn my brain off. Um, but it's super, I love, I love that about myself. I love that. I'm a big loner, but a big loner or a big learner, a big, probably both, but, (laughs) 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 um, but I found that when I just let myself be curious and let myself follow curiosity, learning happens naturally. Oh, and my mom cool. and I have started having kind of conversations because my parents were both teachers and they were super not for homeschooling. Yeah. And my plan is like 100% as long as my kids are receptive to it to um, homeschool yeah. my kids. Millie really wants to be homeschooled. Does she? Yeah. She's wanted it. She's, she's never really liked the concept of school. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Is there, what's the blo- block there? Like just. For me. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's um, practicality, but also yeah. now that she's at this age, I think that it's super important for her to have these social interactions mm-hmm. with her peers that confront certain emotions and bring up certain emotions it's a time to be learning how to manage those things yeah and that's pretty much the main reason is is I think she needs I mean it's good it's good to learn those social interactions I mean Mm -hmm. if if it was a dream world her and I are so, so similar we'd like to move to the country and like shut out the world and the people but as soon as there's people around we're really excited and really interested in those people, mm-hmm. but we tend to um, just by nature isolate ourselves, you know. Yeah. Just because we love getting in our own brains, we're both experienced. Yep. It's like we're just like whoa, 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 whoa! Oh my god, I'm this is learning, you know, learning. Oh, oh, yeah. let's look at this. Oh, let's do this. Um. <clears throat> so I think yeah, I think it's it's she's already already know that she is a very um, intuitive being and that within itself means that she's aware of more things than her peers are aware of right. in an emotional sense. Right. And so it's an opportunity for her to learn how to navigate those things and manage mm. those things mm. um, within a social space with people. So um, what she'll need to do, you know, for the rest of her life so fair so, enough yeah. fair enough I get and that's basically what my mom says like when I when I talk about wanting to homeschooling she's she's not 
like when I was younger and I started to think about this, like five, five years ago or whatever. Um, and I don't have kids yet, but, um, I think a lot about parenting. Like it's something I spend like an odd amount of my time doing. Um, but, um, Oh, I've got a book you'll like then. Okay, cool. And she, but she, my mom just kind of, when I first mentioned her that I was like thinking about that, the power of positive parenting. Oh, awesome. Absolutely. Okay. She was, she was pretty kind of against the idea and made, made her opinions known of how much she didn't really think that that was a great idea for, for lots of different reasons, but I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of research into homeschooling and particularly the theory of unschooling, um, Mm-hmm. which is basically, basically encouraging, um, curiosity. It's just encouraging yeah. curiosity and letting kids figure out what they're interested in. And the more that I've kind of researched that, like my man and I really want to, um, figure out a way that we can support that we can like both take turns. And I think like having a two person family for one is like two parent house, um, is like the only way I could see that. I don't know how someone could be a single mom and have a job and homeschool. (laughs) And like, like, I just, I, that's not, like you said, it's a practicality. It's not really possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If I could go back, I would, I would have definitely um, homeschooled Millie in the earlier years. Yeah. When she started school, uh, we were practicing Buddhists and, you know, there was a lot of chanting for Millie and there was a lot of, um, this notion of not comparing yourself to others it was just like she just had never had that concept and when she started school it was the first thing that she noticed and it was the first thing that she then reflected back you know I was like oh but they've got like hmm did you hear what you just said then you know that are you comparing yourself to them what they have and what you don't have or what you have and they don't have you know and I think that was like, that's probably the like something that I remember like mm-hmm. in Neon Lights is her first week comparing herself to someone else in her class. I was just like, right. oh no, I hate this already. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so for those younger years, I'd, t- I'd totally have, I would love to have done that. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But there is, I mean, there's real world, you know, and that's, that is just how it is sometimes um, that things aren't possible. Um, But, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely super intrigued by, by that just because I found like for me, even I school itself up until university was really easy for me. Mm. Um, and I, like, I wasn't somebody who, who really struggled in school too, too much, except when I was in French immersion, but I think I just struggled with the language. Um, and, but it became about the grade rather than about the act of learning. Yeah. And it's only once I let go of that desire, did curiosity and creativity come back. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's actually how the education is moving here in New Zealand as well. Cool. Yeah. So for primary school now, they don't have um, any reports or um, tests or anything like that. Cool. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So that goes up to what grade? 
um i don't know what grade means but we call it if oh. we say age um, okay sure so that goes up to age 10 so up to okay. age 10 there's no like there's no putting someone in a box directed by their academic status cool yeah how long has that been going on uh only in the last year okay so brand new that'll yeah. be so interesting to see how that yes how that fosters just at least fosters the desire to learn just the desire yeah. to learn that's it yeah you know um not the desire to because I think what happens to kids who get a bad mark is they're like oh I'm not good enough and it becomes like it becomes like a blaming thing and an identification of like, I'm, oh, I'm not smart. Like I remember there was years when I was doing bad in junior high because I was in French immersion and everything was in French and I just was struggling with the language. I didn't notice, I didn't know it was the language. I thought I was just not able to comprehend things. Um, that I literally thought I was dumb. Like I had equated myself to, oh, you're just stupid. You're like everyone around you is so smart. And I used to say, ask questions, I think to my friends nowadays, because I ask questions to people and I take them aback now that I was like, oh, I did that when I was like 11. And to them, I was dumb because all of them didn't understand what I was saying. Yeah. So then my friends would call me dumb as well. Like they were, it was like a joke that I was like just the dumb girl. So I had it in my mind for so long that yeah. I was just and dumb. You still do because you've, you know, can you can you recognize now that that what when you're just even having this conversation, and you said before before you even started talking about this particular part, you said I did really good in school uh, apart from French. Mm-hmm. And so that is such a highlight on your, your life experience that is now like a big piece of your, your makeup. Hmm. Even very- still, that's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It is I. <laughs> so interesting. My, my, we were talking the other day. Cause like, I'm basically obsessed with the concept of healing. Like I just, and how we heal the pieces of ourselves that felt broken or felt like all different, all different words um, that people use to describe themselves. And, and both of my man and I kind of feel like we've gotten to this place that we're like kind of almost caught up to like where we're at now. Like, like a lot of our past traumas our childhood shit we've really worked through. Um, And it was interesting because I do think like there comes this kind of like stalemate time in your, in our life. And, and we, he just turned 32 and it was around the time that we're 30. Like you said, you had that kind of, there's like an awakening moment. I think that happens 29, 31 ish area that it really becomes this, like, I really don't want to be that way anymore. So Mm -hmm. what are the choices, the changes I have to make in my life to become the the things that I want to be? Yeah. And and I think that's like one of the biggest parts of healing. And it's scary because some of those pieces are parts of ourselves that we become identified by. Totally. And so then, then you're also breaking down the identity that we had previous to that and then rebuilding an identity that we want going forward and right. then understanding what identity means and how we have um, come to have that identity. Like, if you break that shit down, it's, it's crazy intense, like based on your life's experiences, having put yourself in so many boxes and, and, and then that becoming a, a smaller piece of your bigger 
you know identity Mm. builds up the makeup of it it's so interesting so yeah (laughs) there's and I'm not going to get her words right but Aisha Kambi I've been listening to some of her um she's been on different people's podcasts she doesn't have her own podcast and she basically said um like if we become over identified by something we're actually limiting ourselves because because then we're only that thing. And I remember even for myself, like, like, um, there came a time when I was letting go of depression that even saying I was depressed, I had to like, not even say that because you become identified as, as being depressed and that becomes your new normal. And in order to move out of it, you have to be willing to say, I'm not depressed anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I'm willing not to be depressed anymore. My yoga teacher will say that if, if you can't identify with the new thing yet to say I'm willing, and mm-hmm. then it allows like a stepping in point. Yeah. Um, There's the same that, with the, the happiness experiment, you know, like right. being, being the happiness experiment chick or being the gratitude chick or being that happy chick, you know, right. it really created this self identification that I needed to be what those people saw me as all the time yeah and and it started that positive toxicity stuff that you were talking about before you know it was like I was going down this kind of road where I kept all of my like authentic self um behind behind the computer screen where no one could see it you know and and when Mm -hmm. I was in these bouts of depression or you know, any kind of intense emotion, anger or frustration or being in love or heartbroken or whatever mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. I, then, I then had to, I felt like I had to put a facade up and still right. be the person that people needed me to be because they needed this positive person to encourage them on their journey. And if I wasn't that, then they wouldn't get there. And and I was so... Um, bodhisattva for mission at the time you know like giving to others was the most important thing and yeah now now it's I just see it so differently it's it's mm-hmm. like every piece of you is a learning for somebody else mm-hmm. you know every well, piece of you sharing sharing all of the things someone's going to learn from from the negative as well right well and that even if you had been like, I'm in a frustrated place, but these are my good fucking things today. You know what I mean? Like, then it's like, it gives permission for someone to be like, oh, right. I can be that way, you know, like, and, and instead of being like, cause then sometimes it's like, man, when you start to see someone who is happy all the time, or you think they're happy all the time. I remember thinking like, well, I'm never going to experience that. Like, there's no way I can be like that all the time. Like something must be wrong with me when it's (laughs) yeah. Right. (laughs) Because everybody, everybody goes through all these waves. Like I haven't met a single human who is authentic, has done some work, who has like gotten in tune with themselves, who doesn't go on some kind of little up and down roller coaster. Like I I just haven't met anyone like that. Right, right. Um, So the last question I kind of had is, so when you are a journaler, do you Mm -hmm. keep up your journaling when you're in a good space? Or do you find that you only do it when you're in a bad space? depends what's going on like I I'm like you with journaling I'll I'll only I'm intermittent in my Mm -hmm. journaling Mm -hmm. um and 
generally, yes, you're right. I journal when I'm in a struggle bubble or when I need to really release something that's mm-hmm. that's um, going around in circles that I can't kind of get an, an opening for or an answer for or land. I can't land on a, a perspective that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Only, only journaling. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, I listened. Tool. I see it as a tool. You right, know, it's, it's a tool to support my learning of self. So what I found, I found it really interesting. It was actually Matthew McConaughey. I listened to him on Joe Rogan because he wrote a book oh, and then he did like his whole tour. Um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and but Matthew McConaughey said that that he he went back and forth with journaling for a long time. And then he started to realize when he would go back on his journals, they were always only in times that things were bad. And so he made a dedication to himself for a year to journal every day, regardless if it was bad or good. So that when you start to go back, you don't just have a memory of the bad times. You also have a memory of all the good times. And then you have this fuller picture of your life. And he was one to really bring that to attention of how, how often most people who journal tend to only journal when things are bad. It's like, it's like the same thing. We only come to happiness experiment when things are bad. And then when things are good, Oh, I don't need that. When do yeah, it because it makes it even better with the three good things though. That's literally, where am I? I've literally got so many journals nice. of all my gratitudes over the years. And, and that that's a fucking happy journal right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole lot of gratitude of everything in my life over nine years. Yeah. So maybe you should start doing three good things. Yeah, I will. I will at night no, before he, I go to bed. Matthew McConaughey should. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he he said because he said that what he did is when he started doing a journal, like journal every day, good, bad, whatever was going on he was able to write his book really easily because he didn't, he had all of his life already journaled and it was easier to recall all the memories rather than you just have all the bad parts. And then you're yeah. trying to recall the good parts. And the one journal I have, there is um, a year basically that I did that before I heard any of this, but I was, when I was traveling India and traveling some other places, I journaled pretty much every day. And it's the most interesting journal I have partially because it's India and India was insanely crazy, but, um, but it also totally outlines my everyday up and down emotional being Mm. rather than just I'm angry I'm working through like other, so many of my other journals, it's just like, it seems like I only have one or two emotions because that's yeah. the only time I go to it to write. Um, True. True. so I just, I, that's something I've, I've been thinking about trying to get back into. And I just found it really interesting how he said that, that, and in doing that, it actually provided a quick ability for him to write a memoir. Like he just went back on his journals yeah. and I was like, well, that's actually, that's just sparked me because one of my goals this year is to start writing uh, a memoir. Nice. So yeah, although, you know, there's all those years that, that I don't have that, those are the ones that I want to write about. I had a journal when I was um, a teenager and it, <clears throat> it was p- part of uh, my releasing my childhood sexual abuse. I actually burnt the journal because it was oh, wow. really, yeah, it was quite, you know, it was quite, yeah. it was quite long. Um, but I really wish that I hadn't done that now because 
I'm in a space where I can receive it and right. and look at it, you know, with a sort of, I guess, a little bit more um, detached or not detached, but just not yeah. as raw mm-hmm. to receive, you know, the words that are in it. Um, yeah. Did burning it have a beneficial effect at the time though? Like, did it have that? Not as much as I wanted it to. Mm. I still had the life that I had to live and, and live okay. through. Right. So I was kind of like, I guess um, I, f- I feared my own mind in, in those years, you know, because it was so intense for me and, and I had developed, you know, a coping mechanism um, of dissociation. And so when I did feel, when I was in the world, it was so overwhelming. And yeah, the the um, the journaling was more like death poetry. <laughs> oh yes, okay. So I think like the burning of it for me at that age, I hoped or I expected that it would be closing a lid on on that trauma and releasing it but it's so much fucking harder than just burning a journal (laughs) yeah Yeah. it it is is there a piece of healing that that you found really helpful like what what did you find gratitude and meditation gratitude meditation yeah okay yeah and mindfulness meditation not um like transcendental or out of body stuff because a lot of my life was dissociation i actually really needed to be grounded so yeah yeah Yeah. there's all the um trauma yoga trauma like yoga specifically for trauma was really incredible um and obviously like mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy okay and dialectical behavioral therapy those are the ones i'll shout out okay cool yeah yeah Shout out to those tools. Do you still use them? Yes, all the time. Yes, cool. For me and my clients. Nice. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm going to, I think it's time to kind of wrap this up. And what I do to end, um, because it just kind of gives a nice um, closing thing. It's kind of fun is I just have five kind of rapid fire questions. So if you're cool with that, we'll just do those. (laughs) Um, so number one, authenticity is being fully human. Can you say that again? Sorry. Being fully human. Being fully human. Oh, I love that. Hey, (laughs) how would you describe your learning style? Style? (laughs) Um, um, curious curiosity and intensity okay cool um a book you would recommend the most um oh well there's just so many yeah i know um oh what's his name you can choose three if you want leaders eat last bye oh well now I have to find it (laughs) that's it Simon Sinek Simon Sinek 
Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Okay, Leaders Eat Last. Your daily practice or habit is? Oh, well, there's quite a few, but gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. Meditation, walking, water, teeth brushing. Nice, exactly, (laughs) perfect. And then last but not least, your favorite obscure food choice. (sighs) Obscure gherkins that was the first thing that came to mind and then I was like no don't say gherkins (laughs) I love it say gherkins doesn't matter it was the one thing that when I was pregnant before I became pregnant I I did not like gherkins and then when I was pregnant I was like give me the gherkins I want the gherkins and now I like gherkins (laughs) that's amazing I've always liked them I'm a pickle I'm a pickle fiend I love it so yeah Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate Thank having you, so you and, and connecting. It was like, I, I can't believe nine years had gone by really. Like that's just, that's just crazy. We should have a, um, we should put in a regular like catch up zoom every couple of months or something so that yeah. we're sharing and sharing like the learnings that we obviously both really keen on. Yeah. I would yeah. absolutely love that. That would be super awesome. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Let's do that. Okay. Bye. Have fun. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the Raw Podcast as part of the Radically Authentic Wholeness Project. We deeply appreciate you and would love to hear how you're enjoying the show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest review, and share us with your friends and family. By doing this, you contribute to our mission of supporting individuals' pursuit of integrated wholeness and authentic self-expression. Are you interested in joining our community of curious comrades? Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the raw project. Through the various tiers that outline our diverse offerings, you can explore your desired relationship with the project and our growing community. If you simply want to contribute without subscribing to the community, we appreciate your kind donations directly through our website, rawproject.org. We are not backed by any outside organization and our productions are purposefully raw and curated organically to create a listening experience that traverses my unending curiosity and insatiable desire to understand this divine experience we're all co-creating. I'm Christine Grace, and I wish you all a radtastic day ahead.